uh, this morning we are back in our Gospel of John series, and let's pause once again and pray uh, and ask God for help this morning. Father, we are so thankful that we have the privilege of gathering this morning to worship you. We pray that you would send your spirit now to help each one of us understand and apply the truths of sacred, sacred scripture, and we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let me ask you a question this morning. It's a very important question. The question is simply this. What is faith? What is faith? According to most irreligious people, faith deals with fantasy and fiction, whereas science deals with evidence and facts. Now, representing many secular people, many irreligious people, Richard Dawkins says this about faith. Faith is like a mental illness, a great cop-out, the excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Now, there are numerous problems with Mr. Dawkins' definition of faith, and I'll deal with those in detail in Sunday school in a few weeks, Lord willing. But for now, know this. This is not the biblical notion or idea of faith. Sadly, not only irreligious people, but many religious people also misunderstand faith. Many religious people think that faith is merely agreeing to a set of facts or truths or doctrines, thinking if I just believe certain things are true about Jesus and myself and heaven and hell, then I'll go to heaven, right? Not necessarily. Because James 2 says even the demons believe. They have very good orthodox doctrine. They believe those doctrines, but they don't possess saving faith. So irreligious people and religious people often misunderstand this crucial concept of faith. Now, it's hard to imagine this morning a more important topic, concept, or doctrine than the doctrine of faith, identifying the nature of saving faith. Because it's faith and faith alone, real faith, that gets one into heaven and helps us to avoid an eternity of separation from God. So all of us must be crystal clear this morning on the nature of faith. And that brings us to this fantastic story at the end of John 4. This is a story about a very desperate father who has a very, very sick son. And in this story, we learn about different aspects of faith. In the story, we learn about faulty faith, we learn about saving faith, and we learn about growing faith. We're going to look at each one of those in detail this morning. First, this story teaches us about faulty faith. Well, who has faulty faith in this story? And the answer is a very desperate father. Look with me at John 4, 46 to 47. So he, that is Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee. Now remember that he performed his first miracle in Cana, turning several hundred gallons of water into wine. So word has gotten out that this guy has power to work miracles. So again, so he, Jesus, came to, again to Cana in Galilee, where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, which is roughly 20 miles from Cana, there was an official whose son was ill. 
When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus is now back in Cana, again, where he performed his first miracle, and word is spread, this guy can do some pretty amazing things. Verse 46 mentions that an official from Capernaum has a sick son. That word official is often translated as royal official. Most scholars think that this particular person was a royal official uh, that probably inherits court, making him a great man of power and wealth and influence and privilege, as most of Herod's men were. But this man cannot utilize all that wealth and power and privilege and influence to heal his sick son. And I guarantee you, this man tried everything, used all of his wealth and power and influence to somehow find a way to heal his sick son. Well, how sick was the son? The text tells us that he was at the point of death. So this man is desperate. He's wealthy. He's powerful. He's tried everything, and nothing seems to work. He cannot figure out how to help his son. He's suffering, and he's desperate, and he's willing to do or try anything. Now, all you parents know what this is like. When your child is sick at the point of death, I guarantee you, you'll do whatever it takes to bring healing to your child. We have five boys, and unfortunately, the physiology of our boys makes them very susceptible to croup. They've all outgrown it, praise God. But many, many times, numerous times, I have a very, very specific memory of watching one of my boys labor to breathe. They could not get air into their lungs. And we thought, are they going to suffocate? Are they going to die? So we'd rush them to the ER. And several times our boys had to get steroid treatments and stay overnight in the ER. One boy a couple days in the ER to be able to breathe eventually. And in those moments, we were desperate, crying out to God, God, please heal our sons. When my, one of my sons had brain cancer, there was a point in his chemotherapy where he got a blood infection. And the doctor basically said, your son is not doing well. He may die. And my wife and I prayed like crazy, Lord, do whatever it takes to heal our son. That's how this man felt. He was desperate, willing to do whatever. He was suffering. And that suffering caused him to turn to Jesus. When we suffer, we often realize that all the things that we put our hope and confidence in are not going to help us. Wealth, education, advanced degrees, the political situation, our jobs, our spouses, all those things will eventually let us down. Suffering has a way of very, very quickly making us realize what's important and what is not going to rescue us or save us in that moment. This desperate father could not be helped by his wealth and his power and his influence. And so he was forced to cry out to Jesus to heal his sick son. God often brings us to a place where we are desperate. God does not cause suffering. God is not the author of evil. But God uses evil in our lives. 
He uses suffering in our lives to force us, like never before, to cry out to him out of desperation. God, please help. I need you. And this particular father was in that place where he was suffering. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're in a place of pain and anguish. God in his grace and kindness wants to use that pain and suffering to draw you to himself. God is the best thing inside and outside the universe. And he uses suffering to force us to find our comfort, joy, and solace in him and him alone. Now, this father had faulty faith. Why? Why was his faith faulty? How do we know that his faith was faulty? The answer is, <laughs> Jesus sharply rebukes him for his faulty faith. Look at verse 48 with me. So again, this man comes all the way from Capernaum, travels 20 miles, probably on horseback, to beg Jesus to heal his son. Then Jesus responds with a rebuke, verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Really, Jesus? This guy just traveled a long way for you to heal his son. What's going on here? Well, let me, let me ask this question. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the man, but he's also talking to the crowd. Uh, when he says, unless you, that word you is plural in the Greek, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But why the strong rebuke? Apparently, all the crowds care about are signs and wonders. They are consumers, not worshipers. They are fans, not followers. They want entertainment, magic tricks, smoke and mirrors, a healing, but they don't want repentance. They have no clue who Jesus really is. They don't seem to care. And apparently, the desperate father was guilty of some of the same things. Jesus knew his heart, and this man wants Christ to perform a miracle, i.e. heal his son, but he has no clue who Jesus really is. Well, how do we know? Because this man is insistent on Jesus coming with him to Capernaum. He thinks, well, Christ can't heal my son from Cana. He has to come with me to Capernaum to heal my son. Apparently, most miracle workers had to deal with proximity issues. But Jesus is not most miracle workers. He is the divine son of God, and he can heal from anywhere. But this father does not understand that because he doesn't know at this point in the story who Jesus really is. He has a faulty faith, and his faulty faith wanted the benefits of Jesus, but he did not want Jesus. Maybe this describes some of you this morning. You want the benefit of a moral life. You want the benefit of psychological peace, the feeling of having your sins forgiven. You want the benefit of going to heaven when you die, but you don't really want Jesus. That's this man in this story. Or you say, Jesus, just fix my marriage Fix my kids. Help me find a job. Change my life. Do all these things for me, but just don't tell me what to do, Jesus. 
That seems to be this man's mentality. Furthermore, his faulty faith did not grasp the power of Jesus. Again, he thought Christ had to be in Capernaum to heal his son. He totally underestimated the power of Jesus. And how often do we do this? We think, well, Jesus can't really help my marriage. He can't really help me raise these kids. He can't save my wayward child. He can't heal this disease. He can't reconcile this relationship. We totally underestimate the power of Jesus, who is the divine, one and only, unique Son of God. And a lot of folks in our culture feel this way about Jesus. He was a pretty good man. He was a moral teacher. He was a miracle worker. He was a wise sage. But he really wasn't the divine Son of God, was he? This story teaches us that Jesus is the divine Son of God, equal with the Father and the Spirit, and he can heal from anywhere because he's the creator. There's no indication at this point in the story that this man is a Christian. He just wants Jesus to do stuff for him. That's about to change, which brings us to the second point. So first is faulty faith, and second is saving faith. What is saving faith? One of the most important questions you could ever ask is this question, what is saving faith? Saving faith, first and foremost, takes God at his word. Look at verse 48 and 49 with me. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. In other words, I'm not concerned about the intricacies of theology, Jesus. Just heal my son. Verse 50a, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man begs and pleads for Jesus to leave Cana, go to Capernaum, and heal his son. But Jesus refuses to go. Now, I'm not going to do that, desperate father. I'm going to stay right here. Why does he do that? Isn't Jesus loving and kind and merciful and gracious? Yes, which is why he refuses to go with him. Because he wants to demonstrate to this man who he truly is. He is the divine son of God. He's the creator He does not get all tired and sweaty when he has to cast out demons. He doesn't warm up and take off his jacket and do jumping jacks to raise the dead. He does not have to fast and pray for days to turn water into wine. He merely has to think the words or say the words and things happen because he's God. He spoke the universe into existence. Remember John 1? John 1 describes the incredible power of the word. That is Jesus. He spoke the words, and billions of galaxies let them do existence out of nothing. Jesus can stay right there in Cana and heal in Capernaum. No problem. He's God. Now, don't miss this. Somewhere between verse 49 and 50, this man moved from faulty faith to saving faith. 
Look at verse 50 again with me. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. In other words, leave, go home, go back to Capernaum. Your son will live. Then these amazing words. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. This desperate father goes from frantically begging and pleading with Jesus. By the way, um, in the, in the Greek grammar, that word begging or asking, it's, it, better translation is begging or pleading in the Greek, it's an ongoing activity. So this man is, is bugging Jesus. He's following him around, begging and pleading for Jesus to heal his son. He's desperate. But then... He calms down, and he believes, and he leaves Jesus with no assurance but simply the word that Jesus spoke. Jesus simply said, leave, I'm going to heal your son. And this man took Jesus at his word. Saving faith always takes God at his word. Said another way, a Christian is someone who takes God at his word. What is God's word to us? God's word is the Bible. Every word in this book is from God. When God's word says, God spoke the universe into existence out of nothing, saving faith says, okay, I believe that. When God's word says, we must forgive our enemies, saving faith says, okay, I'll do that. When God's word says marriage is between one man and one woman for life, saving faith says, okay, that's what I believe. When God's word says that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, saving faith says, okay, that's what I believe. When God's word says when God says to us in his word, very personally, I promise to work all things, good and bad, for your good and my glory, saving faith says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this severe, painful, long-lasting trial. Saving faith, very simply, takes God at his word, believes the Bible, are you taking God at his word? To do that, you must know the word first. Are there parts of the Bible that you are embarrassed of or afraid to talk about? That means you're not taking God at his word. Are you a red-letter Christian? Someone who only thinks the words of Christ in red are authoritative you are not taking God at his word because the Bible itself claims that all scripture is God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And the Bible also claims that God cannot lie. If God cannot lie and all scripture is God-breathed, then the whole Bible is trustworthy and true and authoritative for our lives. Saving faith believes that, takes God at his word, and rejoices in the truthfulness of Scripture. Are you and I willing to take God at his word no matter how much it costs? 
Saving faith takes God as his word. In addition, saving faith acts. It takes God as his word, and then it acts. Back to John 4, 50. Jesus said to him, go, go back to Capernaum. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Again, earlier this man begged and pleaded for Christ to come with him, but now he calmly leaves, goes back to Capernaum, obeys the command of Jesus. Jesus says, go, and this man says, okay, I'll go, and I'll trust you. I'll take your word. I'm going to act. I'm going to leave because I'm trusting you. Saving faith always acts. It always acts. It does something. Saving faith takes God at his word, and saving faith acts. We use the word amazing way too much in our culture. But on June 30th, 1859, something truly amazing happened. The French daredevil known as Charles Blondin, also known as the Great Blondin, Wouldn't that be an awesome moniker? My name is The Great Farley, or The Great Jones, or The Great Smith. But this man truly was great. The Great Blondin. He walked across the Niagara Falls on nothing but a long manila rope. Now, this rope was 1,300 feet across. Okay, imagine four football fields long. He tightrope walked all the way across this rope. And the amazing thing was, there was no harness. This guy was nuts. One false move, one strong gust of wind, and the great Blondin would be the dead Blondin. He would fall to his death. But it gets even more amazing, because he did this not once, not twice, but several times across two summers back in the 1850s. Again, no safety rope, no harness, no protection. And by the way, this rope was so long that in the middle, it dropped down 50 feet. That's how much stretch there was in the rope. So he had to walk downhill halfway and then uphill the rest of the way. Now, this happened so many times that people kind of got bored. So every time he tried something more dangerous and daring, he crossed on a bicycle He crossed on stilts. He crossed in the pitch black of the night. And once he pushed a stove on a wheelbarrow across the rope. Don't ask me why, but that's pretty amazing. Again, no safety harness. Now, at one particular crossing, there were 10,000 people there to watch the great Blondin walk across this tight rope, across the Niagara Falls, again, without a safety harness, And the great Blondin asked the crowd, who thinks that I can carry someone on my shoulders across this rope? And everyone cheered, yeah, in affirmation. And then he said, okay, who wants to get on my shoulders? And no one said a word. They all believed he could do it, but nobody was willing to actually take him up on it. At that point, his promoter, Uh, His promoter's name was um, Harry Colcord. His promoter got kind of nervous. And so he very timidly raised his hand and volunteered. And later on he said it was the most terrifying 30 minutes of his life. 
The point is simply this. A lot of folks believed the great Blondin could carry someone <coughs> across this tightrope on his shoulders. They believed it was possible. They had intellectual knowledge. They believed it was possible, but no one except for Harry was willing to actually trust this guy enough to get up on his shoulders and have him walk across that tightrope. Only one person in this whole crowd truly possessed saving faith. Faith that takes someone at his word and faith that acts. Many of you know all the facts about the gospel. You know that you're a sinner. You know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. But how many of you have actually said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to personally trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to climb on your shoulders across that tightrope because I trust you. That's what saving faith does. Saving faith acts. This particular father acted. He left Jesus and went home in faith, trusting that Jesus had the power to actually save his son. That's what saving faith does. That's what saving faith is. It always acts. James 2, 17 and 18 says this, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. We are not saved by our actions. We are not saved by our works. But works are the necessary evidence that your faith is real. If Jesus Christ has not changed your life at all, you have not trusted him savingly. If it's cost you nothing to follow Jesus, are you following Jesus? If there's been no inconvenience in your life at all since trusting Jesus, are you really trusting Jesus? The answer is no. <laughs> because if faith is real, it acts. We are saved by the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone, period, full stop. But if that faith is real, it takes God at his word and it acts. It acts, it trusts, it obeys. Once we step out in faith and obey, our faith begins to grow, which brings us to the third point. So first, faulty faith. Second, saving faith. And third, growing faith. Growing faith. John 4, 51 to 54 as he was going down, his servants, this is the wealthy man, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to, be, to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, which is 1 p.m., the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he'd come from Judea to Galilee. Verse 53 says that he himself believed, which seems a little odd because earlier on in the story, back in verse 50, we already read that he believed Jesus, took him at his word, obeyed, and trusted. So what's happening here in verse 53? 
This is what's happening. Jesus says to the man, I will heal your son, leave. Go back to Capernaum. The man eventually leaves Cana, heads back to Capernaum. On the way to Capernaum, he encounters his servants. By the way, servants means that he was a wealthy man, multiple servants. He encounters his servants, and they say to him, something amazing has happened. Your son is getting better. And the man says, well, what time did it happen? And they said, well, it was right at 1 p.m. And then he thinks, that's right when Jesus said to me, I'm going to heal your son. So this man believed the day before, stepped out in faith, trusting God to heal his son, and now he has evidence of God working powerfully. His faith is growing. As he stepped out in faith and watched God provide and heal, he's recognizing that God can be trusted. The more you and I step out in faith, and do scary things and watch God provide, the more our faith grows. Around 2000 BC, God appeared to a pagan named Abram. And God said to Abram, Abram, I want you to leave all that you know, all your friends, your job, your family, and go to the place that I will show you. I'm sure Abram thought, okay, a few questions. Number one, which God are you? Because he grew up in a very pagan environment with a polytheistic environment. Number two, you want me to leave all my friends? Number three, where am I going? (laughs) And number four, how do I know you're speaking the truth? But amazingly, Abram stepped out in faith, left all that he knew. It was probably kind of scary. And he followed God, and God directed him and guided him and led him for many years. And the more and more Abram stepped out in faith and watched God provide, the more his faith grew. Now, Abram was not a perfect man. Many times, Abram made all kinds of catastrophic mistakes. He was a sinner. But across the course of his life, his faith grew as he stepped out and obeyed God and did scary things. Many, many years later, his name was now Abraham, God asked the unspeakable. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to go up onto Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him as a demonstration of your trust in me. Now again, I'm sure Abraham had all kinds of questions for God. God, isn't that murder? God, all the promises you've made to me, they're all contingent on my son Isaac living a long, fruitful life and having lots of offspring. But amazingly, Abraham believed God. He hiked up on that mountain with his son, tied his son up, pulled out his knife, and he was about to stab that knife into Isaac's chest. At the last moment, God said, Abraham, stop, stop. Now I know that you trust me. How was he able to do that? Incredible act of faith. That came after years and years and years, decades, literally, of Abraham stepping out in faith, watching God provide, and having his faith grow. 
Our faith is only going to grow if we step out in faith and do scary things. If we never step out in faith and do scary things, our faith will eventually atrophy. Faith is like a muscle. It grows stronger the more you exercise it. Sometimes stepping out in faith is scary, isn't it? You may be thinking, God, if I become a Christian, I can't do the things I used to do. God, if I tell my friends about Jesus, they may not like me. God, if I give all that money away, I can't buy that new house or that new car. God, if I tell the truth to this customer, I may lose this sale. God, if I break up with this non-Christian, I may be single the rest of my life. God, if I discipline my child, my child may not like me. If we never step out in faith and do scary things, we're never going to grow in our faith. What is God asking you to do this week? What step does God want you to take as you follow him? Maybe it's telling a friend about Jesus, giving money away, getting reconciled with an old friend, getting reconciled with parents or siblings. Following Jesus can be scary, but it's incredibly exciting. John 4, 43 to 54 is about faith, but more importantly, John 4, 43 to 54, is about the power of Jesus. Jesus promised to heal this desperate father's son. This desperate father believed that promise. He went home, saw that his son was healed, and he grew in faith. He went from faulty faith to saving faith to growing faith. God promises to do so much more for us than heal our sick kids. God can do that. He doesn't promise that, but God can do that if he wants to. But more importantly, God promises through Jesus Christ to remove all of your sins as far as the east is from the west. God promises to work all things for your good and his glory. God promises to adopt you into his family, reconcile you to himself, and God promises you an eternity of joy in a glorified and resurrection body. Do you believe those promises? God guaranteed those promises. God gave us evidence that those promises would come to pass by raising his own son from the dead. God wants to move all of us from faulty faith to saving faith to growing faith. And no matter where you're at in that spectrum this morning, God wants to move you forward. But you can only move forward if you're willing to step out in faith, do something scary, and trust God to provide. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of this desperate father. Father, we pray that we would grow in faith as we step out to do scary things.
Father, I pray that you would move everyone here this morning from a place of faulty faith to a place of saving faith. And those who are saved, I pray that you would fill us this week with your Spirit. Help us to really believe all your promises. Help us to do great things for your kingdom by faith this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.